Welcome to People with Purpose. So many people are looking for meaning, but they don't know where to start. Imagine a world where everyone could just get their purpose out of them and then actually make it happen. I'm David Roberts, and I believe that we all have a purpose, and with focus and a little help, people with purpose make a difference. And this show is where these stories come to life. So welcome to another episode of People with Purpose. Today I'm very pleased to be joined by uh, the Reverend Canon Simon Jones, who's uh, the rector at St Michael's uh, Church in Stoke Gifford, which is in Bristol, the southwest of England. Uh, the mission of the church is about living to make a difference by being a Christian heart at the centre of their communities. Uh, and uh, Simon's uh, leading the charge on that and, and looking to engage uh, his congregation and people in, in making a difference. So, uh, so Simon, welcome to to the show. Thanks, David. It's great to, to be here to, to join you to share a few thoughts and uh, and listen a bit as well. So looking forward to it. Excellent. Good, good, good. So what are you uh, working on at the minute? Well, uh, uh, over the last few years, we've been sort of fairly focused in terms of what I, what I do here on, uh, on I suppose, it, it, enabling people to find their place in life, to discover what they are uh, enthusiastic about and then pouring themselves into it so uh, the little catchphrase for our church is living to make a difference and um, I suppose that's been a, a, a kind of a lifelong journey for me a little bit and trying to help people within the life of our church community and broader to yeah for their for people's lives to count I think um, so part of that journey has, has been uh, strengthening some of the buildings and resources in our community so we we have a, a sort of a big community church centre that we've built over the last few years. And uh, that's been both a labour of love and a challenge. I mean, we may come back to that in a bit. Um, but um, but yeah, it, it finds its place in the centre of our community just next door to the train station. And so as I chat to you today, we've got the leaders from Network Rail who are here, their, their management team are here for a whole day using various parts of our building to train and equip their leaders to be uh, as good as they can be. We, we always do have a slight joke with them when they arrive as to whether they're going to be on time or not. <laughs> yeah. um, or, or we sort of wonder what they might do if we just cancelled cancelled the conference without any notice but um but there we go they've been very happy to be here so um so yeah there's a few things that are going on at the moment brilliant brilliant and so i would imagine that it's been challenging for the church the last few years in the same way that it has been for a lot of other organizations so what what's changed for you in the last three years so yeah like many organizations particularly i think in the charity sector that that's requ required or have been built on face-to-face -face contact with people that's been that's been a, a tricky dynamic for for churches and for us you know we're the same as as many other places so you know going from from a situation where you could meet people face to face where you could gather people together on a sunday or, or at other times in the week when you could sing songs as as we do in our church when you could uh, take a moment to interact with people close up over coffee and, you know, all of that stuff just vanished overnight during, during first lockdown and, you know, subsequently over the, over the following two years. So that provided us with a, with a huge challenge, but we were committed, I think, to, to, to being a church 
and to providing church services or opportunities to worship as, as soon as lockdown hit. So bizarrely, we've been talking about things like, should we be live streaming our Sunday worship services? We've been talking about that for probably the last, you know, two years before lockdown. And there were always reasons why we didn't do it. You know, oh, we haven't got the money. It would, you know, we have to buy TV screens. We need better cameras, et cetera, et cetera. And then when lockdown one hit, we achieved it inside of 48 hours. <laughs> um, so it is an, an interesting reflection in terms of, you know, leadership and movement in leadership, groups of people as to the, you know, necessity is of, often a, a key factor in, hey, let's now try something different. Mm-hmm. And of course, the pandemic was a necessity. And my observation has been that that some of my friends who were leading churches or charities who started lockdown one with an attitude of, we'll just wait until things get back to normal, are the kind of churches that have died and the kind of charities that have just stopped. Um, and so, in a sense, you know, we, we, we thought, no, we want to see if we can progress as a church and develop things in a new way. So that meant, you know, live streaming services. It meant, you know, gathering people together on Zoom meetings. It meant any of our small groups that met during the week, you, you know, immediately went to Zoom. Uh, we, we tried to, and that kind of opened up a network for us. So we discovered on one Sunday, we had 1,500 people in our, in our live stream who were connecting from India. Right, wow. Um, who, fa- who found the church service. It had been passed on by word of mouth through social media, et cetera, and a whole, a whole village just connected with it. We've had people connecting with us from, from Canada, from America. Uh, we've now got people who are part of our church, who, are, who live nowhere near the church, people in Wales and um, you know, Devon in the UK, Manchester, people who just connect because they they heard through word of mouth, they knew somebody, they saw a social media stream and they they thought we'll we'll click on that and see what happens. And so we've learned some really vital things about church, I think about community, about the way that people connect with each other, with a message and count themselves in, even if it is, even if it is or especially when it is uh, a sort of digital connection. So, um, yeah, and, and it's changed the way that we do church. So now everything that we do is live streamed pretty much. All of our Sunday worship is available on YouTube, YouTube channels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and so it's, it's provided some, um, some big challenges, but also some amazing possibilities. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, for us. It's incredible that uh, that 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 reach and uh, as you say, word of mouth, whether it be kind of face to face or or the online version of that, is uh, is 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 a really 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 powerful thing. I guess it makes me think. So it took a it took a disruptive moment like the pandemic to to trigger you into doing things that you've been talking about for a while. So mm. are there any is there are there any other things then now that you've uh, that you've you've got in your long-term plan which you're now perhaps thinking about differently and thinking well hang on a second there was a we found reasons not to do things almost because of the story we were telling us didn't have enough money you know couldn't do it for this reason or whatever are there other things now that you're you're playing that kind of mentality into 
Yeah, I think there are, I've, I've observed a couple of things going on post-pandemic. I think one is that we settled into a bit of a routine during the pandemic where you kind of knew who was being, who was going to connect with you. You know, you could see numbers of people on a, on a live stream. You could see who was connecting via a YouTube service or a Zoom meeting. You know, you kind of had a, an idea of who was, who was in front of you. And of course, that some, some people have loved that because it gives a bit of certainty. Hey, we, we know that there are now 20 people on this Zoom meeting. That's, that's good. Um, but I, I think my, my driver, I think, in, in leadership and in terms of leading churches, and you know, I've basically worked in the charity sector for, for most of my working life, but within within that, trying to th- enable people to think expansively. So, it, it, you know, if, if you're going to s- set up one group, or let's say churches are, or communities are going to do one support group, which has a set of parameters to it, set of things that it aims to do. If you're going to do one, why not do 10? Hmm. Um, and I, I think church, churches, just from the experience, aren't always great at thinking that. You know, they tend to think, "Hey, if we we like we like small, and, and therefore let's let's cope with small." Uh, and I and I I've tried to enable people, I think, to think a bit more expansively. So, you know, on the basis of you know, if if you are working as a leader in a in a context, your job is not just to lead, but to enable others to find their space in leadership. Um, and, and a leader's job is not just to do things, but to, but to get things done. And, and therefore, I think that post-pandemic, we're, we're trying to do two things. One is to cope with some people who who liked the, the knownness of 20 people on a Zoom meeting, alongside recognising that there is a much greater reach that the church needs to have. And so, therefore, we've seen uh, more congregations spring up. So, certainly in, in our area, there are new housing areas, and we've had to think about starting church there. So, not just expecting people to come to us, but what does it mean for Christians in a new housing area to take their place, to to do their bit for social engagement, um, to encourage a rebuilding of community. What does it look like for that to happen? And so that's been a, a new thing, particularly out of the pandemic, when people have retreated to their own homes, their own space. The social muscle, I think, has grown weaker. So what does it mean for us uh, to people to, to take their place in, in rebuilding community and enabling people to connect once more with each other in a genuine and real way? So those would be those would be sort of if you like values that i think have have grown which means we're you know we're thinking about um starting new groups in new housing areas developing um mentoring in in a broader set of schools trying to encourage people to um to uh, build and start projects we're running sort of parent and toddler groups now in new communities where previously those things didn't exist uh, it's it's all of that 
I think, to enable yeah, people to, to, to think uh, differently about church, which has often been a, you know, come to us mm. type approach. Mm. Whereas I think, I think church, and I think actually, you know, Jesus himself was very much a, well, yep, come to me, but now that you've come for a bit, now go and do other things. And so I'm constantly trying to encourage people to, to go. I mean, not to go away, but to, <laughs> that would be unfriendly, but to, to, to think about, to think about going and doing what it is that they think needs to be done in any particular, in their street, in their community and um, in their neighborhood, you know, it's, it's in their business. You know, I think all of that stuff, I think Christians have got a lot to offer. Um, I was talking to a guy that works at the MOD and he said, you know, he said for the, for the first time, they, they spotted people walking down their floor plate, popping into offices and saying, you okay? Can I get you a coffee? Um, and, and things that, that actually, you know, anybody can do, but particularly, I think, if you know if people who come to our church, we're wanting them to be those kind of people mm-hmm. who start to rebuild a sense of um, community when people have been very distanced, and people still, of course, working from home quite a lot. So, yeah, yeah, that's a little flavour. Yeah, yeah, sure. And you've got that uh, you got that interesting dynamic where everyone went into a kind of a lockdown type situation at the same time, but people are coming out of it. At different times, and there, you know, there are still some people that are that are emerging emerging from it. You know, whether that be uh, physically or mentally, emotionally, or whatever it might be, and 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 those different people kind of need different levels of support to to reengage with community face to face in some of those activities, uh, and it's been great to see things like you know festivals kicking off again, and and, and some of these yeah. big big social events kicking off again. But um, but yeah, it is it is interesting, and and you have to you have to take those those steps towards each other uh, in order to really bring that sense of of community together, and and the whole thing about the online experience, if you like, uh, that that can be you know additive to to the face to face experience. Uh, I suppose uh, some people have preferences, but in a way. I couldn't necessarily see the online experience replacing the face-to-face experience. But what it does do is it kind of almost dismantles this sense that place is, or, or the location, the physical location is the be or an end all. And I suppose that's always been a bit of a challenge for the church in a way, because a- a- attracting people into a church, which can be potentially an intimidating environment for people to go into for the first time, and people mm. say they're going to church and a church uh, being a place, whereas actually a church is a is a is a community. It's a it's a it's a body of people that that comes together and you know plays through into fellowship, and that can happen anywhere, can't it? Yeah, no, I think that's that's really really true. I, mean, I, th- I think it's, and also I think there are you know there are sort of generational views i think on some of that stuff as well I, you know I, I was um i was talking to my uh a member of my family the other day about how they met their their uh, their partner you know and uh, and I, I, they said oh well we you know we we just we met on on tinder you know they and I, I said so what you know what happens what happened to the old days when you might have been out in a in a, a bar for instance and, and somebody thought oh they look they look like, you know, I'd like to go and talk to them. I'll just wander up and say hi to them. 
And um, and th- th- they said to me, Dad, nobody does that anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I think I think there's an interesting generational divide in terms of. I mean, we've, we've probably seen it, seen it anyway, but I think there is a there's a you know the digital natives, uh, uh, you know, of our other generation where some of this you know way of operating has just been it's been what they've been doing for ages you know we had a uh, one of the guys that was working here who was pr- probably 20 22 23 and but some of some of us slightly older people were uh, having a a conversation in our in our staff meeting and uh, talking about how of course you know fa- facebook friends aren't real friends <laughs> And um, this sort of 22-year-old was quite indignant in their response and said, well, they're real friends to me. You know, that's uh, they're, they're the people that I interact with. I message them every day. I have conversations with them every day. We talk about real things every day. And um, so it, was, it just was an, an interesting snapshot. This is pre-pandemic into, I think, what we've seen a bit, a bit more of, yeah. um, I think. And um, maybe the, the mixed mode for us is is probably where we are where we are as as a church you know mixed mode of digital and and sort of face to face i think you need both actually to be done well in in order for churches to interact and to, to grow um because actually that you know it is interesting now seeing who who turns up at church because they saw an instagram post or a facebook post or a you know, connected with somebody via Twitter, Twitter feed. It, it is fascinating to see the range of people that that respond like that, as well as people that just happen to wander past and see a sign and thought, "Oh, let's go and have a little look and see what's happening there." So, um, yeah, we're we're experiencing a mixed mode of operation, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah, interesting times, interesting times. And so, um, you mentioned that you've spent quite a quite a lot a lot of your working life in the in the, the charity sector uh, would you care to share a bit more about your story and and how you ended up uh here yeah well it's a long longer story now david because i'm getting very old and <laughs> you decrepit don't, you don't look almost. that old to me to be honest so. <laughs> I, but i have to say that because yeah. I, I look older than you do so <laughs> yeah i know well, it's um i'm not, not possibly going to comment um, <laughs> I was talking to a bloke last night who made who who said to me um, in conversation said so, so how old do you think I look? And I I was an idiot. I like I like an idiot. I said oh, wait, I reckon you look about sixty nine maybe. <laughs> um, and think and I thought that was generous. And he said no no, no I'm only sixty one. <laughs> I was like oh man. I thought well you, you I thought you, sh- you shouldn't have asked me if you didn't want to be insulted. <laughs> um, but. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so so it's uh, it's been a bit of a, a journey for me. Uh, I've been where I am now for the last fourteen years. So working as a um, as a as a vicar in a in a Church of England church, St Michael's in Stoke Gifford. Uh, for those of you that want to Google, and um, it's uh, a church that's that's grown uh, over the years. I think we've increased uh, the the focus for the church, and there's been a, been some hard work, effort, prayer, and a- action built into that. Um, my When I finished school, I was always, when I was at school, I never really quite knew what I was going to do. Um, 
you know, it's always a question that people ask me as a teenager. It's like, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do when you, you know, what choices are you making for your A levels? What are you gonna do at, at college or university? And what do you want to end up doing ultimately? And I never really knew. I had several passions. One was sports. I played a lot of sports, and uh, the other, the other one was music. So I, you know, I played a, a, in a variety of bands from a from a young age, um, and and I liked talking. You know, I often got in trouble for that when I was at school, but I, you know, I kind of liked the experience of chatting with other people. And so those, those, the combination of those things, I never quite knew what those would, how they would end up in the same job. And then a, a, a sort of, I, I, you know, I did a variety of things. I started a, a degree, which I didn't complete. I was still wondering what to do. Um, I became a Christian when I was 19. So I hadn't really gone to church much before that. And so it was a moment when a friend invited me to a to a church service, and I went for the first time. And that was a a real moment of uh, like like an epiphany moment. Of the lights went on, I thought, "Wow, there are people here that say that they're Christians. It means something to them." I thought I was a Christian, but it was just vaguely in the background. Uh, and I thought, "No, there's people here that kind of believe things, and then they are acting on the basis of their belief. You know, they're kind of living stuff out." Um, and so I. I sort of got quickly involved with that church, made a decision that I wanted to be the kind of Christian that would want to put any faith into action. So I started leading youth groups and getting involved with uh, some stuff in the life of the church. I took a job as a welfare worker, so doing a, a qualification in social work. And that was where where I was headed, really, until... Um, a, a guy who was in in our church said to me, "Have you ever thought about being a vicar?" To which the answer was, uh, well, "Well, I can't repeat exactly what I said, <laughs> but um, um, the, the answer was um, was was kind of go away. Uh, <laughs> def- definitely not. I think would, would be the the, the polite translation." Um, and they said, "They said, well, I think you ought to think about it." And um, I I couldn't see how that would work for me, uh, given the vicars that I knew, and I, I couldn't see myself in that role, um, just because every vicar that I had seen or knew always seemed to be of a certain age and um, hair, hairstyle, um, and um, I couldn't see myself doing that. But um, as I went forward, I kind of thought, no, maybe there's a place in in church leadership for me, and the Church of England has a little process of selection, so I went through that. And ended up um, being ordained and working in in churches first as a curate and then um, as a sort of a, as a vicar in London and then I did a, a sort of a project uh, in London working with hard to reach teenagers. So I think uh, over the years I've found that um, yeah I, I mean I, I think that my focus I suppose has has been. What does it look initially? What does it be, mean to be young in leadership in a church? Um, and what does it mean for young people to find their place in the life of church, community, leadership? And so over the years, I suppose, if you if you had to categorize me, I suppose I've been a, an investor in young younger people of a variety of types, the church. The charity that I led before coming to Bristol was both a church and a charity in London called Ignite. 
And that was set up to really to work with and to reach hard to reach teenagers in Northwest London. And uh, we were working on, on doing outreach projects, working on the streets, working in schools and colleges, working in communities, working a lot within gang culture, actually, and enabling young people to be valued, um, to be encouraged, strengthened, and to be equipped for, for living life well. Um, um, and that meant a kind of a prong, two-pronged approach where we saw the church grow, um, but we also saw a lot of sort of engagement in, in social programs. We ran music workshops and, um, you know, we, we, we ran sort of a drugs road show in various schools. And so it was a kind of a, a multifaceted approach that people came to join us in doing. Um, and that was my immediate experience before coming here. So I learned a lot in leadership. Um, drew a lot of younger people in, gave a lot of responsibility away to teenagers um, to help lead and to do do things. And uh, that sort of came with me into this role. So um, it kind of, again, I think the church leadership now probably has a younger dynamic to it. We're trying to invest in younger people, young adults. And we've got now, you know, any number of people who are in significant leadership roles who are in their early 20s and you know, I think that's a, been a, a driver for me, a mm. passion, I think, to, as somebody did for me once when I was 19, mm. who said, you know, I believe that you can do this. Um, and that's been a, uh, yeah, a key part of my own journey, I think, in, in leadership. So, so where did that, where did that, um, so the cu- a couple of things that really leapt out at me were uh, belief in, in, in action. So, so, so I'm, I'm interested in where that kind of action driver sort of comes from for you, and also the focus on on young people. Um, where, where, where does that focus come from? What do you think is behind what the root of that? I, I mean, I think some of it is probably me as a person, if one's honest. So I'm a I am an activist by nature i think so i um the thought of sitting in a room being quiet for a any period of time is quite painful to me um or or just or or you know kind of not putting adding some intention to one's thoughts or vision i think always seems to me um you know feels like a, a a difficult dynamic I think I was struck. I mean, I, th- I think you know that that journey into church that I described was a was a a, a process, a, a journey. Uh, but I remember I remember reading for the first time um, Jesus telling a story about people who built their house on a rock, and and other people who built their house on sand. And you know, he was making the point that if you build your house on a solid with a solid foundation, it's probably going to stay standing when life gets tough um and so the the story itself you know has a has a a dynamic about it but at the end of it G- jesus said this thing he said if you if you hear these words of mine uh, uh, and put them into practice you are like a person who built their house on the rock and that always was both challenging and haunting in equal measure for me 
that it's not just about saying that you believe something. It's about what difference will it make to your life? What difference will it make to your generosity? What difference will it make to your interaction with others? What difference will it make in terms of the kind of church you want to be a part of? What difference will it make in terms of your family? What difference will it make in terms of your business? Um, you know, there, there's all of that stuff. That, that there was that the haunting words of Jesus about putting faith into practice. And so, for me, I think that's probably that's that's been mingled in with my basic sort of human instinct. I think to to uh, yeah for, for for one's life to count that you get one shot at it and therefore you've got to make it count um it, and not just to get soaked up with um the ought or the you know must but but actually what will my will my am i doing what i feel passionate about and enthusiastic for um and so i think those probably were those those are the drivers for me i think and um uh, you know i've worked with some amazing people over the years who carried a, a similar enthusiasm or passion i think and th- those folks have also impacted me on, on my own uh, journey mm. through life so far mm-hmm. and you mentioned leadership a couple of times as well i mean leadership is one of those things uh, which which again I, I share your passion your passion for that and uh, and so and, and and seeing other people, uh, you know, succeed again gives me a lot of. It's, in a way, it's kind of like a selfish passion that I've got because because it kind of it kind of it makes me feel good to see other people other people doing doing well, you know. So but so there's a selfless side to it in a way, but it's kind of that there's a self there's a selfish part of it too, and uh, and and yeah, I suppose it's also interesting about y- young people in leadership because you see people playing professional sport who are captains of a team who are you know 17 18 19 you know england captain age 22 whatever it is so why shouldn't that translate into 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 business or into or Mm. into the church or any other kind of organization because that that lead those leadership capabilities they could they can evidently be trained into younger people and also, if you've got somebody who's got a um, uh, a, a natural uh, inclination towards it, or maybe an untapped or unseen inclination towards being a good leader, it's about how how you can kind of enable that person to perhaps see that for themselves, and then and then take that take that step. I mean, how do you go about empowering people in your organisation to to take things on? I think one is. I mean, I, I totally agree with what you've just said. I think one one is an an, an atmosphere of encouragement that seeks to uh, help people to to be uh, to, to develop confidence. I think I think encouragement linked to confidence is a is a really key thing. A lot of people are are feeling unconfident not because they can't do the job, but simply because nobody said to them that they could. <laughs> nobody has let you know given a, a bit of passed on a bit of courage taking encouragement and said you know you you can do this so i think some of some of it is is an atmosphere of encouragement i think some of it in leadership is about leaders being prepared for their seat to be taken and that that's not a very comfortable thing in any form of leadership particularly in business you know i you know my my observation of of, of business leadership is often you know i've i've got to this chair this seat that i take 
and I'm going to stay in it as long as I can. Um, and yet it seems to me something about leadership development is allowing others to make their way towards your seat and even sit in it, um, certainly on occasion and probably ultimately to take the seat that you happen to be in. Um, I think you see often businesses fail, I think, and churches and charities because the, the person who leads it ends up being irreplaceable. Not because they they are ir- irreplaceable. It's just because they haven't thought very much about succession planning. And uh, part of that, I think, is is spotting people. Part of it is giving space for people to develop. And and then part of it is taking the risk that you might need to, whilst you're still there, step into a different kind of role of coach and support, uh, as opposed to being um, you know out front leading and hoping that people are are somewhere following on behind. I, th- I think there's, um, so I think encouragement, confidence, I think opportunity to, to lead, you know, we've got to give away or, or develop opportunities for people to grow in their leadership. Um, that's got to be a significant thing. I think review is really important. So being being effective in our review of, of the way that, or appraising people well, um, with a sense of, um, well, you know, how how did it go? We are we have developed a sort of a review culture um, at St Michael's, and we're always asking three really important questions: uh, what went well, what didn't go so well, and what could we do differently next time? It's called a three W's approach, and um, you know, it's it's well well known and well worn, I think, in business circles, um, but it's 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 been a, a helpful review for us. So we're constantly reviewing. Um, and I think that's true with individuals as well. How did it go for you? What was it like? What did you learn? What could you do differently next time? Um, and uh, allowing people to discover that for themselves rather than, you know, appra- appraisals. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speak out of turn in terms of, I'm sure there might be people listening who are wonderful, uh, uh, you know, appraisers. Um, but I think, Appraisals often tell you more about the appraiser than the appraisee. Mm-hmm. It tells you what they think about mm-hmm. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It tells you what they think about your um, your approach. It tells you what they think about whether you've met your objectives or not. It tells you what they think, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think appraisals you know, are largely a waste of time unless it's really about the appraisee. So what do they think? How do they think it went? Um, you know, what did they think was good or not so good? And in these days, you know, all of the people that speak in our church now um, are, are videoed for eternity. <laughs> in other words, anything that I've said on, on a Sunday morning here is on YouTube and it will be there for eternity. Mm. Long after I've snuffed it, <laughs> they'll, they'll, people will be able to Google and say, oh, what did Simon say back in 2022? And we're now in 2072. Or, you know, it'll be, I'll, I'll be able to, you know, kind of hauntingly still be there even long <laughs> after I've gone. So I think that gives us a great, for us as a church, gives a great strength because I'm able to sit with people and say, Here's what you did. Uh, how did you think it went? Mm-hmm. Um, and allow someone to, to who uh, often people would be more self-critical of themselves than, than others might be. So I, I think there's, there's something about uh, and developing people, reviewing people, giving them the space to grow. 
and not being afraid, I think, as a leader, that somebody who who you pass something on to, to, to do might actually do it better than you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I, I've always tried to lead like that mm. um, in the sense of developing the, the next generation, if you like, who are, give them space to step into yeah yeah in in their leadership mm. so um and so yeah i was saying i was doing an assembly in a school this morning and i was telling a story of giving a giving a guitar to a a, a young guy this is a couple of years ago gave him a guitar because i had a spare one and uh, he wanted to learn the guitar I gave him a guitar and just said um here's here's a a website that you can go to here's this little this this guy on youtube that will teach you to play some chords gave them the guitar and within about three or four weeks he'd come back and it was really quite proficient and um that same guy is this sunday night is going to be um, leading our singing as a church leading our worship so we have a little worship band so a team of musicians that lead our singing and he's the guy that's leading that um so it it, it does you know it, it involves i think a, a giving away um of of who we are and in fact one of the things i felt pop into my head this morning and it, you know i don't know you know, people listening whether you you know whether you're a person who would say that you have any faith or not or but but for me I, it felt like an, an an internal message um and you know i i sensed it might have been god saying to me this morning as i was telling the story of giving the guitar away to this young lad I felt an internal message in me that said this, Simon, keep giving away guitars. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think it means, you know, not necessarily, you know, a physical guitar, but metaphorically keep giving away the guitar. Um, and I think we, we too often don't, mm -hmm. we don't give away the guitar to somebody else. We hold on to it. We polish it. We play it ourselves and we need to take the risk of handing the guitar over to someone else. But, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, and then your, as you say, your your reach grows, your ability to to lead through others. I mean, that's that's really what it is about. I mean, what lots of people achieve in life, you know, you, you get that written on your on your tombstone or wherever that it will get written whenever it is <laughs> that my turn comes around. And mm. uh, and actually, most most of most of the achievements um, of, of 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 my life are actually the, the achievements of other people. It, it's it's, a, it's mm. actually about kind of as you say, creating an environment where where others can do it. And um, and yeah making it your mission almost to make yourself redundant actually puts you in a in a place where uh that's not a negative thing that's a positive thing because it means that you can then go on to do other things and other people can come forward and yeah as you say do do what you do what you've been doing but do it better and uh, and and you know make a make a real change for themselves and for others mm. so so the purpose of your life then how would you describe that i think there's been a um several features to that i would say number one and this is going to sound horribly political so um forgive me for this but i think i kind of a, a, a modernizing of the church um so to do church to be church in a way that most people could at least recognize some aspect of what's going on and um so i, I think to that's been a a large part of my you know reason for being i think is that sense of modernizing the church um 
I think to, to help people find their way into the, the Christian journey, that's been a, another feature, I suppose, of my, um, of, and that's partly because, you know, somebody helped me understand the Christian faith when I knew nothing about it when I was 19. And so I, I think I've tried to do the same thing in my own life to try and where I can explain, you know, what the Christian message is and explain what the, what the journey of living as a Christian might then look like. Um, those would, would, I think, be, be two key drivers. Um, I mean, I think interesting, I think both tie in with each other. I think when, when a church is seeing new people coming in, um, then I think it does, it does lend to a change of focus, actually, modernising. Um, I think in the first year that I was here, about 60 people joined the church because of a course that we ran called Alpha. Um, and I think it was, it's interesting then that things start to change because people ask questions like, why do you do that? You know, why do you, why do you sing songs? Why do you pray in the way that you pray? Or why do you meet on a Sunday at 10 o'clock? You know, why do you, why do you do these things? And you are then having to ask the question of yourself, you know, and that's a good question. Why do we do it then? Why do we meet Saturday evening at 7.30? You know, why do we, why are we, so I, I think those two things sort of seem to go in a, in a nice cycle, I think. Hmm. Um, so the, something of the, the, the modernizing of the church, by which I mean, I, I don't mean, you know, forgetting the historical message of the, uh, of, of the, uh, the Christian faith, you know, I don't mean leaving things aside or um, abandoning sets of beliefs. I, I mean kind of a, 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 a translation process to be able to speak the, the words of Jesus afresh and not just to say them again mm-hmm. and hope that people will somehow just get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I suppose those would be two, two uh, key yeah, key focuses, I think, for over, over my life so far. Sure. And, and, uh, and yeah, thank you for sharing that. And so, and so what, what will the, so, so say you're successful in modernizing the church and it sounds like you're making some, some decent progress, uh, and, and you help more people find their way into the Christian journey, uh, say you're successful in doing that. What will be the outcome of that and the, the difference that will come about in the world as a result of that? I mean, I, I think uh, the, the yeah, have I been successful doing that? I mean, who knows? I think I, I, I um, I've sort of had wider responsibility in in the Church of England at various moments in my in my life. Um, I, I, um, I think that the, the Church of England has a great historical asset. You know, it's it is kind of integral in communities, and therefore carries a responsibility with that and I, I think generally when the Church of England is able to or Church of England churches are able to hold on to that place in community that still is kind of tenuously there I think and to bring a sense of life and purpose and I think it's a it, it's the, the kind of church community that often people think oh I'd like to go and find out a bit more um, in terms of how you measure success in those things I, I think think is not predominantly about church for me actually it's really have a bunch of people been 
enthused enough in their faith, either a newfound faith or a faith that they've grown up in? Are they enthused enough by that to then um, impact and live well in the world around us? I mean, most people, apart from weirdos like me, most people spend you know, 98% of their life in the workplace, you know, in hospitals, colleges, schools, universities, businesses, um, and therefore the, the Christian life, that's where it's worked out, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And, and so does it mean, uh, you, you know, more people who are hungry in Bristol uh, being, being fed? Um, does it mean uh, charities that are, you know, are working with, with the homeless? Does it mean more of our folks serving there, helping there? Um, does it mean people in, in their businesses starting to ask questions about the morality of the way that business is operating, mm. um, either you know, in the expenses structure or the way that right the way through to what are we delivering in our business and how are we treating people? Mm. You know, I, I think it's it it needs Christians to ha- have a you know to, to have a voice there where things aren't great and also to have a voice when things are great and to be able to say this is really good that we do this um and i i think that's for me where i think that's where the success is i'm i'm really not interested in and we do we do have buildings obviously and we have a you know a a church and community center that we've built over the last sort of seven ten years um, and that's taken a lot of time and effort and energy to do that. Um, and we've got a, you know, a, a, a nice auditorium that I mentioned earlier on is being used today by Network Rail mm-hmm. and it hosts conferences as well as Sunday church, etc. But I'm really not primarily driven by numbers of people. Um, people ask me how many people come to your church. I, I kind of really genuinely don't don't know. They say, well, I don't know. I could tell you how many people are on a you know, a database or a, but, you know, I'm, I'm genuinely not interested to have a church of, you know, 600 people or a thousand people, or, you know, I, I really, I really could care less unless those, those people who come, come with a sense of um, wanting to, for their lives to make a difference. Yeah. Um, and some people come to us needing time to recover from hurt experiences or you know sometimes people are coming from church experiences where they've had a a bad experience and so we recognize that some people come and just want to be in a community for a while before doing anything Mm. um but i but i think you know everybody's on that journey to you know can i find my place in which i serve Mm -hmm. Uh, and can i do that because that's what you know god is calling me to so yeah that's that's in a sense i think that's where i measure success if if um you can describe it like that yeah sure 
no that's that's really interesting and i i i believe that if you want to uh if you want to kind of uh, be somebody have an impact you've got to serve somebody so uh so finding a way uh, to to capture your your talents your innate abilities and, and bring them out and learn learn skills and and apply those with with principles and values that that resonate with you uh helps you to then attract other people around you who who are going in the same direction or wanting to achieve the same or similar things uh, then you've got a tribe going um, and then you can have more of an impact and uh, it's about how those things come together so that that's quite interesting to just explore that follow-on question if you like from your from your mission if you like to sort of really get to the the perhaps the bigger why so thank you for sharing that that's uh, mm. that's really helpful so what, what advice would you give someone who wants to follow a similar path um in terms of Church of England coordination, well, yeah. or well, well, in terms, in terms, well, possibly, but but it's, it's interesting your initial reaction, which was you know kind of a not on your Nelly type reaction to, to then <laughs> to then being fully immersed in it, and now and now obviously very very passionately pursuing pursuing that life and, and seeing the benefits of it. I suppose, yeah, specifically to your situation, but also in, in general terms, there might be people who are sitting there now thinking nah that's, that's not for me um but they might just need that little bit of encouragement to to, to go after it so what, what would you say to those people i mean i think in terms of the, the sort of the the journey to church leadership um or ordination you know in terms of the church of england um i i would always say to people um uh you know have you have you heard uh, a kind of a nudge from God that that's what you should be doing. In other words, leaving the place where you probably have been most effective in your workplace, and then finding yourself in a in an entirely uh, or largely a sort of a Christian conclave of. Uh, um, so I, I think it's it, it's I, I would always um, head to that with a little bit of caution. Mm. Um, I, I suppose in terms of the broader principles, I, I would be encouraging people to talk with others. So to talk with somebody maybe who has taken a similar journey. Mm. Um, if you're thinking about Church of England leadership or you know church leadership generally, I think there will be church leaders who you can talk to, who you know to ask the question, um, what was it like for you? How did you know that that was the right thing to do? Um, so I would, I think that would be um, that would be a kind of a broader. Um, bit of advice that I'd give. I mean, I, I think every everybody uh, can can lead, and in some way, some ways, I think everybody everybody does lead a little bit. It's just that we don't think of ourselves like that. Mm. So you know, you think about a you know a, a, a young a young parent at home, single parent with with two kids. Uh, taking care of the responsibilities of that leadership happens, um, you know, in a in a fairly significant way. Uh, so I, I think people are most people lead in one way or another. I, I think in terms of purpose, it's it's discovering, you know, what what is it that floats my boat? You know, what what if I if I didn't need to worry about pay and paying the mortgage and all of that what 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 really infuses me and 
I mean, in some ways, that sounds like a luxury because, you know, people have got to have jobs. They've got mortgages to pay. So not everybody loves the job that they do and all of that. But even within those understandable parameters, it's like, what is it that that, that floats my boat? Um, you know, is it working with young people? Um, is it you know, helping people discover a sense of purpose? Uh, you know, is it, um, you know, watching, uh, enabling uh, older people, the over 65s to connect together and to find a sense of, you know, what it means to be in community as a retired person. You know, I, th- I think it's, it, it is for us, I think for anybody trying to find out what, what is your motivation? What would you, if money was no object, what would you want to do with your life? Mm. And I think, I think for, for many of us, of course, money is, is, is needed and required in lots of different ways. But if it wasn't, what, what would I want to spend my time doing? Um, and so I, I would say those, those I think are key questions to ask. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do I, what do I, what do I like? like doing hmm. um uh yeah what floats my boat yeah yeah and 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 then and then as you say take take a leaf out of your book from the point of view of the action part and 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 do something even if it's a small thing just just do it yeah yeah i think that's um that is true it's it's kind of adding a bit of um you know i mean, I mean every purpose i think or every vision needs intention added to it to make it become a reality uh, and i think that's true of you know bigger visions or projects that you're running or things that you hope to do you have to add intention to it in order for it to to happen you've got to do something mm. um but i think it's also true in terms of in terms of the um you know the kind of the personal objectives or personal vision I think you have to then you do have to trial a little bit and add some intention to it um, in order to discover whether it's whether it's the kind of thing that you yeah are, you, you can see yourself doing and um so when i was when I was twenty one uh, you know after an initial conversation with somebody who said um could you you know could you have you ever thought about being a vicar and I was like no definitely not." Um, and when I started to think about it, I thought, well, how would I know that? Um, and so talking to that person again, they said, well, why don't you go to Liverpool for a couple of years and work in a church setting in a very different environment, different part of the country and, and see what happens in doing that. So I went to Liverpool for two years and worked in a church following a vicar around for two years, basically. I mean, he was aware I was following him around. It wasn't like this. <laughs> wasn't like I stalked him for two years, you know, like um, he suddenly turned around and saw me every day. Oh, what are you doing? Um, you know, he knew I was coming. Um, so I, um, I followed him around for two years and that, that was a kind of a very formative time for me. Cause I thought, do you know what? I think I'm, I think I'm all right at this. I think mm-hmm. I could, I, you know, I could, I could see myself doing this and I started to see myself doing it. And then of course, when you see yourself doing it, you then start, you know, you're starting to add some intention to, to what you hope to do. So um, I think if if any young you know if you're a younger person listening, I don't know whether you are because you well, I got bored by now. But if you are if you're a younger person listening listening, no offense to you, David. Uh, uh, if if, um, if if you are a younger person listening, I would think you know there are now you know you know if, whether it's 
working as an, an intern somewhere or just hanging out with somebody, you know, badgering somebody in your workplace. Can I spend a bit of time with you to see what you do? You know, I think those are vital questions or vital things to do in order to then discover whether it's whether that that's your passion. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Agreed. And where there's where there's there is that little bit of uh, curiosity or that little bit of will, there's often there's often a way to to just uh, you know leave leave the door open a little bit to have a little peek at what's the other side of it. And uh, yeah, taking that first step is uh, is key. Brilliant. Okay, that's really helpful. Thank you. Uh, so uh, I'll ask you just some quick questions now. Uh, just to sort of um just to just to follow up on a couple of bits and also to ask some 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 quirky questions so so you mentioned music what's your favorite album and why um gosh yeah good question i've probably got two quick answers to that historic i mean my favorite album of all time would probably be night at the opera queen um although a close second and this is a kind of moving the genre it's a, a big leap in genre would be um, Stormzy did an angle, an album called Gang Signs and Prayer about four, four years ago, I think now. And um, he performed a lot of the tracks at Glastonbury in 2019. Yeah. And I, I, because, it, you know, I worked with lots of uh, young people um, doing us doing the kind of a bit of like the Stormzy thing. That's been a, that's been an album that I absolutely thought was bang on. Mm. Um so um, yeah, two different genres from two different eras, but um, that's well, no, there's nothing with that. I, I've got very diverse musical tastes as well, so uh, so I can totally relate to that. And yeah, an album that tells a story—that's uh, uh, I, I feel like we kind of miss that a little bit now with a kind of whole download a track sort of uh, culture. I mean, it's great that we can do that now, but uh, actually, if you can stick an album on and it tells a story, that's that can be really powerful. Okay, cool. That thank you for that. So, and um, what would your perfect weekend be? I think it would be um, uh, it would involve going out for a, a curry. I think it would involve um, some chat and conversation uh, with loved ones, and it would involve uh, a dog walk. I've got two dogs, so it would involve a dog walk. And if I could spread the weekend a little bit wider, it would also involve watching um, uh, Wales play rugby. Um, I used to do a little bit of that when I was younger, so it would involve that. Mm. Uh, and or um, a, a little bit of test match cricket at Lords um, with my brother for the day. That would that would that would it'd be a long weekend, wouldn't it? But, that sounds um, like a bank holiday weekend. Uh, that, 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 yeah, there's yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with that. You've stretched the definition of weekend a little bit. Yeah, but we'll let you get stretched. away with it. Yeah, it's good. Sounds sounds fantastic. I'll, I might join you there. Um, so, um, what do your nine year old self love to do? Um, I used to love. Um, kicking a rugby ball around at nine um i moved from wales when i was about 10 so um i had aspirations to to play rugby for wales um never quite managed that at senior level although i had a little um dip into that when i was um under 16 um so i kind of um that is what i used to do a lot of mm. kick a ball around mm. um yeah and where'd you play what position so i was a, a number seven so i was an open side flanker okay um, and played at rugby, sort of played junior club rugby when I was a bit older in uh, a team in Kent. Mm. And um, that always, and I was still doing that when I was ordained. So that used to ca cause some amusement. <laughs> that, um, the local vicar was also um, playing in our, in our 
team uh, on the open side yeah. flank. So um, that, that, is, uh, that is good. At least you had at least you had the costume ready for where because invariably rugby rugby team annual dinners there was the you'd, you'd always see them dre- playing rugby dressed as, as what was it tarts and vickers or whatever you'd see that yeah, quite exactly. often. So you had your costume yeah. sorted for that. Yeah, I, w- I was regularly going as a tart. So it, was, um, it, was, um, it was no problem at all. Um, yeah, yeah. Although one, 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 one of the guys I played with um, didn't know I was a vicar initially, and he stopped me at the bar on one Saturday and said to me, oh, before we go any further in this conversation, I need to tell you something. I said, what? He said, um, you've got to be careful what you say in this rugby club these days. And I said, why is that? He said, because, and he looked up and down the bar, and he said to me, there's a vicar in the club. <laughs> And I said, oh, right, is that right? And I said, I've got to tell you something as well. He said, what? And I looked up and down the bar and I said, it's me. <laughs> and um, I remember I remember him as he spat his pint out <laughs> over the air. Uh, and then, yeah, and then he swore yeah. profusely for a bit, so, and then so, asked for forgiveness. <laughs> oh, there you go, there you go. Well, that's uh, and again, when you talk about leading people, what you want people to do is to sometimes to ask for forgiveness instead of permission. So, uh, so good bit of early practice there. That's excellent. Good, good, good. Okay, and um, uh, final couple of questions then. So, who inspires you the most, and why? Um, I mean, I, th- I mean, it's, it's kind of you know cheesy answer cheesy vicar answer which you you might expect i think i still am inspired by uh, the person of jesus so you know looking at the stories of uh, that he told the way that he did life the way that he shared life with people and um, gave his life for people you know all of those things i think that continues to to inspire me um and so at at, at that that level i'm uh, i'm inspired by that um, I, I think, you know, range of people that I've worked with over the years who have really inspired me, a friend of mine, a guy called Steve Chalk, who I worked with for a number of years, and, and they set up a number of o- academies, works um, with a thing called the Oasis Trust, and um, I worked with them for a number of years, and that was inspirational to see an academy trust being set up to now work, and they have 20 academies now across the across the country. And um, many in Bristol, and that that was another sort of inspirational period of my life when I thought, "Hey, here's here's somebody whose life, you know, who's who's trying to make a difference." So, um, yeah, brilliant, great. Well, thanks ever so much for for giving us your time today and for for talking so openly about what you do and and, and what it means to you. Um, well, what's the most important lesson you've learned along your your journey? Um. I, I think it's it's um, don't don't take it alone, don't take the journey alone. Um, so, in terms of um, you know working with others, building team. Um, so, I think that would be fairly high up. I think um, you know you don't have to take the journey alone, um, and I think that probably tr- translates into many areas of life. Yeah, both the good times and the difficult times actually don't take the journey alone. So I, I think I'd I would probably have that on my uh on my tombstone, maybe maybe two things on my tombstone. Don't take the journey alone and something like he, he gave away a lot of guitars. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you, Simon, so much for coming on the show. Uh, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, uh, how can they how can they get in touch with you? I think they can just Google St. Michael's Bristol 
Um, it's St. Michael's Church in Stoke Gifford. Just Google that. You'll find the website. And then if you want to be in touch, you can do that through the website. And um, there's email addresses all over that. Um, and there's, you know, the usual um, Twitter feeds and Instagram and all of that stuff as well that's, that's accessible there as well. So that'd be the best place to do it. Brilliant. Okay, that's great. Well, thank you, Simon. It's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you. And, uh, and all the best with, uh, with, uh, with your ongoing good works. Thanks, David. It's been a, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to People With Purpose. I hope you've enjoyed the show and are enjoying going on this journey. Please remember to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review. Uh, tell all your friends. And if you're interested in finding out more about any of the things we've covered in this episode of People With Purpose, just get in touch. All the details are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.